HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. Hey there. Hi. Uh, this is A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. We are in the middle of summertime as we record this, and I mean hot summertime. So when I say pickles, that's something we need in the summertime for all our grilling of hamburgers and hot dogs and, and a picnic. You can't have a picnic without pickles. But there's a lot more to it than just the pickles we think of when I say summertime cookout. Pickling, pickled vegetables. Pickling is an ancient method of preserving foods. And even though the preservation need is no longer the major importance of pickling today in, in our gastronomic world, pickled foods are valued more as a food that excites and, and delivers those assertive, bold, and spicy sometimes flavors. The first mention of pickled vegetables is said to have appeared in an ancient Chinese manuscript more than 9,000 years ago. And archaeologists believe that ancient Mesopotamians were regularly pickling foods as far back as 2400 BC. Throughout history, pickling has preserved crops and provided essential foods for the masses. Pickles, in their myriad forms, are indeed a global food, as food writer Jan Davison states in her book, The Global History of Pickles. And she writes, they're also a modern food. Growing interest in naturally fermented vegetables, pickles by another name, means that today, in the early 21st century, we are seeing a renaissance in the making and consumption of pickles. Hmm. From the Holmes Cook Pantry of Pickles and artisanal jars sold at local markets to the vast array of commercially produced pickle products on supermarket shelves, pickled vegetables are popular. In the Western world, pickling is defined as immersing foods in brine of salted water or in vinegar. But what is the difference between fermented pickles and vinegar-brined or quick pickles, as we call them? I've asked fermentation expert Joy Jane M.D. to answer that question. Joy is an herbal alchemist with a focus on terroir. She practices her unique process of whole utilization, maximizing the yield from each ingredient through the processes of fermentation, 
preservation, and extraction. Jory teaches courses and workshops in fermentation, and her vinegars, fermented chili sauce, and Worcestershire sauce in particular are available through her website, ladyjanesalchemy.com. And in full disclosure, I should mention that she's also my daughter-in-law. Hi, Jory. Hi. <laughs> um, and yes, it's okay that you're my daughter-in-law and you're on my show. And I gave you all that informa- all the information about you because you are indeed, well, you're probably the foremost fermentation expert that, you know, not in the mainstream right now. And I have to say, I'm always learning something from you, aside from taking your wonderful vinegar course, which I highly recommend to anyone. And I have wonderful vinegars to show for that. I mean, you really... You take a deep dive into the ancients. You don't just work on today's fermentation methods with fancy equipment, although you do have some pretty fancy equipment in your laboratory, I will say. (laughs) But you, I mean, you've gone back to the ancients and read many of those texts devoted to fermentation. Do you, have you seen anything that, you know, basic, aside from sterilization, you know, Louis Pasteur and and mason jars and things like that, have you seen any major changes in in terms of, of, you know, straight full-on fermentation processes? Um, I mean, going back to ancient is definitely um, more straightforward and very simple. You know, you're using crocs and um, ancient techniques are reliant on um, indigenous or native fermentation. And that means that you know, you're not adding any um, anything to jumpstart your fermentation, whether it's buying yeast that was produced in a laboratory uh, to jumpstart fermentation and initiate a particular flavor. Um, ancient methods is relying on what exists in the air around you and what exists even on your body. Um, so to me, that is what um, triggered my excitement around fermentation was reading those sort of old methods, and that is how I ferment. I am not an expert around um, fermentation when it comes to um, any additives. I'm, I'm not against it. I think that on a commercial level, uh, it is almost necessary to not do native fermentation because uh, if you're producing on a commercial level, you need consistency. You need the exact pH, the exact acidity, and you want the flavor to be the same for all of your customers. Um, so I was very turned on, uh, you know, to ancient methods because I like the fluctuations and I think it's most unique. Um, so to answer your question, modern um, sort of representations I see more are people using these, um, you know, purchased yeasts and even some vessels have changed. There have been some new inventions of um, airlock methods that I haven't found one uh, that I think beats sort of the old school method, but um, it's still pretty new, and I'm sure something will come forward at some point. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I can see that that um, commercial operations definitely not only do they need consistency, but then they've got a they've got a they're working on a timeline too. They got to turn it out. Yes. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I had mentioned. Um, uh, Pickles, meaning fermented foods generally, but also um, the popularity these days, especially for a lot of home cooks, just to make some quick pickles. You know, you want to pickle some red onions for dinner tonight, or you you know you want to put up some you know pickled um, beans, which are usually which are refrigerator pickles too. But what but what is the major difference in the ferment 
fermented pickles and the vinegar brine pickles? Or what is and what is lacto fermentation? I guess I should say. Sure, sure, yeah. So, like when, when you say a fermented pickle, you're referring to a, a method referred to as lacto fermentation, and then um, a quick pickle is a, a vinegar um, vinegar method. So the I guess first I should say what lacto fermentation is. Um, so you know, lacto fermentation doesn't have any milk or dairy products in it. I know a lot of people get nervous. <laughs> it um, is. It's very like, lacto. Yeah, lacto, yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, this is a, a very ancient method of converting glucose. Um, you know that it exists in pretty much everything, and it's converting the glucose into lactic acid, um, and it's, it's done by basically removing any uh, free oxygen and submerging product in a salt brine. So ancient method is, um, using cucumbers as an example, ancient method is submerging the cucumbers in a salt brine. You put a weight down so that the salt brine comes a few inches above the cucumbers and no oxygen can get into it through the brine that's existing on the top layer. And being you know, uh, devoid of any free oxygen, the glucose and the cucumbers start converting uh, into lactic acid, and it makes for this very um, acidic uh, process so that it naturally preserves itself. Um, modern methods now are you can, you know, put stuff into a jar with an airlock and uh, a little water chamber so uh, the gases can escape but the oxygen can't get in. Um, and then I know there are people even doing some quick fermentations in cryovac bags. Huh. Um, that's a whole different story, and <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on that, and I won't waste your time on that one. But, um, you know, so it, 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 the lacto-fermentation is basically a, a, a natural process of conversion, um, and a lacto-fermented pickle is going through that process. Um, if you put vinegar over cucumbers, you're not fermenting. You're just preserving. The fermentation process was in making the vinegar itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really the main difference between a lacto-fermented pickle and a classic quick vinegar pickle. One is fermented and one is preserved with a fermented product. Does that and, make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and the the quick pickles, they, I mean, they have to stay refrigerated or if it's if you heat them can you are they shelf stable so if you if you're doing a quick pickle and and you haven't like pasteurized your vinegar or anything like you make your vinegar it's raw and you haven't pasteurized it um and you pour it over your cucumbers and like you know hot vinegar over the cucumbers and that's it you know technically they could stay out on the counter but fermentation can continue um, so to prevent fermentation and to have a, you know, a desired product, it's best to put them into the refrigerator. You know, the, the, um, our Food and Drug Administration will probably say otherwise, but, um, you know, the, the, uh, m- most of these methods were created pre-refrigeration. That's why they were created. It was to preserve food and there wasn't a way to cool things down and stuff, um, but you know, I, I don't. I don't feel like they need to. But they, it will continue to ferment, and it could change the flavor over right, time. Right, right, right. Well, and I think that this quick pickling method was something that probably got a lot of the home cooks interested in 
pickling because then they said, sure. oh, this is so easy, I can do this. And then w- go a step further, and before you know it, they become like you. How did you get so interested in ferment? As a former chef, how did you get so interested in fermentation? Oh, my gosh. I It's, it's funny. I wish I had, like, I should probably work on this answer because I'm always like, oh, um, I, I'm not 100%. I... I I think that somewhere deep down inside, I have always had an interest. I do remember the first time I ever dealt with a fermented um, process was in sixth grade um, in math class. And one of the projects we had to do was basically make a bread starter. And it was it was feeding exact amounts each day. And this is something we did at home. And it, we I ended up baking, you know, this bread. And I was just, I was blown away. I'd never experienced a flavor like that Um and then I think it kind of stuck with me over years. And I tried um, homemade vinegars from a woman um, when I was in high school. And I think just over the years, it all kind of converged when I um, had had learned, you know, the basics in commercial kitchens. I was also uh, sort of retaining a lot of um, the, the waste that was happening in these commercial kitchens and I, I was just kind of thinking, like, what can I do with this? And if I ever have my own restaurant, I want to I want to make a difference. So when we opened Fish and Game, I was able to sort of apply all the things that I had been teaching myself and storing away, and I just kind of blew up from there. <laughs> well, and, and Fish and Game, I will um, explain to people, that is the restaurant that um, you run, own with my your husband, my son. Yeah, Zach we Palaccio. opened it together. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I pretty much at this point, um, I let him take the reins. I, I'm, I think I might be too emotional. I'm not sure. Um, but you still produce. <laughs> but you still produce a lot of products that are used yeah. in the restaurant, right? And up I in do, yeah. the Hudson Valley. I'm still, still doing the the larder and um, and and a lot of you know trying to come up with interesting methods of um, you know whole utilization with with you know what is uh, being left over from production, ultimately, well, from prep. Uh, talk about that a little bit, whole utilization. I mean, we're, you know, people are really into sustainable businesses, and, and nothing is it seems less <laughs> sustainable or not whole utilization than a, than a food service place because 100%. of all the waste. Yeah. So what, yeah. What, is, what is your special whole utilization method? Um, you know, I mean, there's, yeah, you, you nailed it. Um, there is, there is, it is impossible to be zero waste uh, with having a, a, a restaurant. It's, it's impossible. Um, but, you know, I, it, to me, it's, it's do what we can. And my, my directive was more of, you know, seeing things that aren't presentable, especially when we're working with so many farmers and majority of them are organic farmers. So we're dealing with some pieces that have bruises or, you know, little, little bug bites from the field that you can't put on a plate because just the masses want beauty. Um, and, and you can't put something that has flaws on the plate because then they think the dish is flawed. So it was like, what, you know, what can we do? Because in New York city kitchens for a long time, and while I was working in them for other restaurants, all this stuff went into the garbage. New York city didn't have compost set up yet, um, which they do now, which is great. And there isn't space, um, you know, to have fermentations. And it just also isn't taught in culinary school to be forward-thinking with food waste. Um, and I think we're getting there. But if, to me, it was what can I do because I don't like to waste 
flavor. It's, it, it was more about the flavor, and flavor is money when you have a restaurant. So if I have the tops to beets and there isn't a use for it in a dish, you know, what, what can I do with that? You know, what can I turn it into? Even if it's as simple as just making a beet top pesto for a, a special you want to run next week, or, you know, finding a creative way to press them in different lacto-fermented salt brine methods and have this very elevated um, next-level product that can be added to another dish just to heighten it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also have a very extensive all-natural uh, wine program, and we have since the day we opened. And those wines, um, they, they don't have stabilizers, so they fall apart quickly. And if you open a bottle to be poured by the glass, and we're a restaurant that for many years we were closed from Monday to Wednesday, the wine that was open and wasn't completed Sunday night wasn't good for service on Thursday. So what do we do with that wine? You don't put it down the drain. So I started turning it into vinegar. Mm. And uh, since the day we opened Fish and Game, um, we have never purchased citrus to adjust the acidity in the dishes. It's all been done with vinegar that has been recycled and put back into the dishes in the kitchen. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I know that you do a lot of other tinctures and extractions and other things that have um, health and beauty benefits. And everyone touts the benefits, the health benefits of lacto-fermented foods and it's good for your gut and whatever. What is there anything, in, what, what in particular do you find about the health um, advantages of some of these fermented foods? Sure. I mean, you know, when you're uh, when you're fermenting in a way to preserve the ingredient, you are preserving the nutrients that exist in the product that you're using. Um, there is some misinformation out there that claims you're adding nutrients, um, and it's not possible. <laughs> There's mm. not there aren't nutrients in the air that go into your fermentation tank and boost um, what exists, but you are preserving what nutrients exist in the the product itself, where if you cook something, um, nutrients can retain, but they they lose a lot. They lose a lot because the cells open and they uh, they sort of express their their nutrients that are in the cell walls and then they evaporate out through the heat being applied. So you know when you're um, fermenting something, you're retaining it into that liquid. So the the vegetable, if you're doing a cucumber, um, whatever nutrients exist in that cucumber, retain in the cucumber itself and then also into the brine. So both um, the liquid and the product itself are very nutritious. Um, you know, and then it, it retains a lot of the omega-3 fatty acids and then active enzymes. So that's really great for digestion and keeping sort of the gut flora in balance. Hmm, interesting. And then if it's just a quick pickle, you can always drink the vinegar, right? <laughs> yeah, and vin- you know, vinegar has a ton of health benefits as well, um, you know. And, and the, the lactic acid um, and, and acetic acid, which ultimately vinegar is acetic acid, you know, th- they have different, um, d- different benefits. They're not, they're not the same. Uh-huh. Um, and they're both really, you know, beneficial for, for the body. Well, as I say, I'm always learning something from you, and and I invite I invite my listeners to learn from you too. You, um, it, there are so many different types of fermentation. Just the other day, I noticed you were explaining and posting something on 
whatever, Instagram or whatever about all these different ways that you you took a, a wild um, plum and fermented it apricot. like or apricot. Yeah. I'm sorry, a wild yeah, apricot yeah. and fermented it like five different ways. Yeah, I mean, well, some were fermented, some were dried, but yeah, it's applying it in different ways. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a small household. Uh, you know, it was another thing, um, you know, for me with getting started with fermentation and being self-taught. So many books and even even older books, the batch sizes were always like a gallon or more. Right. And it's like when it's just three people in your house, a gallon is like a year plus supply of sauerkraut. You only need like a couple of, you know, spoonfuls a day for health. Otherwise, you know, for a condiment, again, it's still a couple of spoonfuls. So I wanted to, you know, find ways um, to not have to create huge batch sizes. So I, you know, all my work is in ratio bases, which means any size can apply, any batch size can apply. Um, but, you know, when I, I found these apricots, I mean, I just freaked out. I've never had a wild apricot in my life. And I'm 39, like it blew my mind. And uh, I had a lot of them and I didn't want to just jam, you know, right, right. a few pounds. So I just went into a bunch of small you know, processes. So I have a few different interesting, um, interesting flavors ultimately. Interesting. Yeah. It was, I I found that fascinating. And what I really need to do is come and take a photograph of some of the jar. Jory has these lines of jars on shelves, both in the restaurant and in one of her homes that it's just colorful, beautiful. It's, I mean, it's artwork. (laughs) It really is artwork. And, and, um, so tell the listeners, I mean, you, yeah, self-taught, but then you've gone and studied with fermentation people and taken, um, you know, laboratory courses and things. But you also teach, and you were, in fact, invited to do a workshop at Yale and did a, a taught people there. Um, where can people find out about your courses and your products? Um, pretty much everything is on my website, um, which is ladyjanesalchemy.com, and that's Jane with a Y, J-A-Y-N-E. Um, and also Instagram, um, which is at Jory Jane. And I'm not on Facebook. Uh, I was for years. It just didn't, just isn't, doesn't work with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> How many different mediums do we need? <laughs> not compute. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are really my two main, um, main ways of, of getting information out there. Ultimately, I am in, Hoping, I'm trying. I've, it's been a, a lot of different things going on, um, but I'm I'm really trying by the fall to have some online courses um, oh, set up terrific. where yeah, people can can just log in and and get going on uh, information without me having to be um, in place, which I do enjoy. It was fun for me to teach. I did enjoy it. It was incredible to meet um, so many people. But um, you know, it's it's hard to it's it's difficult to to be physically there um, at different times and then also with the fermentation for the classes you have to have different stages and it it is like a six it would take me about six four to six months in preparation before a class right kind of a lot when i have other work going on so well it was definitely worth it i recommend them and again that's lady jane with a y jane's alchemy.com Well, thanks, Jory. As I say, always learned something, and we'll bring you back for a further discussion of fermentation another time. That sounds good. Um, All right. Thank you so much. Okay. And stay tuned. We're going to take a short break, because then we're going to come back and talk about cucumber pickles, the summertime pickles, and some of the top-tasting pickles 
in America year after year when we speak with the, the director of marketing from Clawson Pickles. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent, member-supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on Heritage Radio Network is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fun drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org/donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. Hi, we're back, and you're listening to A Taste of the Past. Now, you heard all about fermentation and vinegars, and I talked about how pickling is such an ancient um, method of preservation. And that was 2400 BC in Mesopotamia. But when we think of pickles, the cucumber pickle is usually what comes to mind. And in 2030 BC, you know, that was a little earlier, a little, little sooner after than 2,400, <laughs> cucumbers, which were native to India, were introduced to the Tigris Valley, Mesopotamia, where they were, in fact, being pickled. Then by the 16th century, thanks to Christopher Columbus, cucumbers were being grown in the New World, pickled and fed to explorers and armies. By the 17th century, Dutch farmers in New York were growing cucumbers and sold them to dealers who cured them in barrels. They were growing a lot of cucumbers. And they sold them to dealers who would cure them in barrels and brines of varying flavors and sold them at market stalls. In fact, the word pickle is derived from a Dutch word, uh, I'm not sure, peckle or pickle, um, which means brine. And, and then we adopted it to mean pickle, the pickle the variety that we know. And... There, the pickling, the cucumber growth and pickling spread throughout the country and well throughout the world. And of course, I don't need to tell you, but today you go to the supermarket or you go to any market, and the shelves or the stalls are lined with jars of pickles and choices. But in a recent blind taste test of pickles, one stood out for clean, vibrant flavors, flavors, and that all-important crunch. And it's not the first time these pickles have been one of the top choices. Those were Clawson pickles. They consistently score at or near the top of, for the best taste preference. And who knows what you mean? You're not sure what you know. What are you tasting for? What do you like in a pickle? What do I like in a pickle? But somehow they arrived at this pickle, crispy, good tasting. And this brand started in 1870 outside of Chicago, Illinois. And it's still there or nearby. It's one of the biggest in the market share for refrigerated pickles. 
And today I am pleased to have with me the Director for Marketing of Kraft Heinz. Yeah, you heard that right, Kraft Heinz. We'll talk more about that. Zach Meyer, uh, representing Clawson Pickles. Welcome, Zach. Thanks so much for having me today, Linda. I read by the Department of Agriculture that the average American consumes about nine pounds of pickles a year. How can that be true? I mean, they got to be pretty heavy pickles for me. I don't. <laughs> yeah, we, we certainly uh, listen to our consumers and know that there is a lot of uh, p- pickle passion from the pickle people out there. Um, but really, you know, when you think about uh, what, where consumer interest is going and what they're interested, consumers are looking for fresher products. Um, they're looking for products uh, that are, 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 le- are less processed. And so um, at Clawson, like, we're so glad to be able to provide a product where the number one ingredient is fresh cucumbers. Um, and so what we've seen with kind of the strength of Clawson uh, makes a lot of sense when you, when you think of what consumers are looking for and, and how they're eating differently today. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that the company has been around since 1870, I mean, I, and they're doing things the same way, I would imagine, right? <laughs> It really, really, in a lot of ways, that that's true. Um, it started as a family business um, in Chicago. It was a, a German vegetable farmer by the name of Klaus F. Klausen, um, <laughs> and he had uh, a, a truckload of cucumbers that he couldn't sell. And so, uh, ever the entrepreneur, he said, "Well, rather than let them go to waste, I'm going to I'm going to pickle them and see if I can sell them." And that was really the start of uh, Klaus, the Clausen company, and it, it became a family business, and it really has been a family business uh, for generations since the humble origins in 1870. Well, they were in one place for so many years, um, the factory that was, um, uh, tell me about that, where was that, in the... the yes. Yeah, so our the, the factory today um, it actually remains, as you mentioned in in, in the intro, very close uh, to its roots in Chicago. So our factory today is in Woodstock, Illinois, um, so it's a little little over an hour uh, outside of Chicago, um, and it, it really is has retained a lot of that feel uh, of a family business. Um, you know, I've I've had the chance to work on Clawson for a little over ten years, and so I've been to the facility numerous times, and it's always really rewarding for me uh, to to visit the, to visit the factory and to see. Um, workers who have are a part of generations that you know their their parents worked at the, at the factory and they're working there and seeing the pride that they have um, both in the Woodstock community uh, but also in Clawson as a brand and continuing uh, to make really high quality products. I think um, I think if Klaus were around today, I think he'd be proud of uh, of what his company's become. All right. Well, now I mentioned that Clawson is the biggest um, has the biggest market share for refrigerated pickles. So these are. Are as we were just talking earlier with um, the fermentation expert. These are not fermented pickles. They're they're quick pickle brined vinegar pickles, right? Yeah. So they, as you mentioned, they are fermented under refrigeration. Um, and so I think there's a couple things um, that make that unique. Uh, first is um, being under refrigeration. There's incredible care um, around the condition of the cucumbers. Um, so they're never heat treated, um, never pasteurized. Um, really from the time they're picked and put on a truck, they're kept in refrigeration um, as that truck makes its way to Woodstock upon delivery and really until it's uh, put in the jar with the brine, um, it, it's kept refrigerated to um, for minimal processing. And I think that's a big part of why um, we do so well uh, with consumers in terms of taste test, um, color, and the crunch, um, as you mentioned. Um, the other thing is that um, because we source only fresh cucumbers, 
um, you know, we have to minimize the amount of time from when they're picked uh, to when they're put in the jar um, because we don't heat, treat, or pasteurize. And in fact, it's really about seven to 10 days um, from the time it's actually picked off the vine um, to when it is actually placed in the jar. Um, so a lot of care is taken kind of throughout the whole process of harvesting the cucumbers to volume to make sure that it's uh, at maximum freshness when it's, when it's uh, put in the jar. Mm-hmm. Well, where, um, is there a particular uh, area you have special growers? I mean, where are the cucumbers sourced? Is that part of the secret in the jar? <laughs> we think so. Uh, so we cucumbers, uh, the optimal growing condition for cucumbers are cucumbers like it warm and hot and humid. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really in the summers when they grow the best. And so because we're constantly sourcing cucumbers and we constantly need an incoming supply of fresh cucumbers to package, uh, we like to say that we follow the sun uh, to get the freshest cucumbers. So uh, when it's winter um, for most of the United States, uh, we're actually sourcing cucumbers from our, our, our growers in Mexico. Uh, and then when it starts to be spring, then uh, we're able to source from the southern states, uh, so Florida, Texas, and Arizona. And then at this time of year, now that we're in the middle of summer, um, we're actually sourcing from the East Coast and from the Midwest states. And then as it gets fall, we'll kind of go back down. Um, but we're committed to um, always providing the freshest cucumbers available. And so it's, it's, a, it's a wide-ranging network of growers. Again, a lot of family businesses there that we've been working with uh, for generations. But um, we believe it, it's worth it to be able to provide the freshest cucumbers possible. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the notes that was sent to me um, in preparation for um, the show was that in the past 18 months, Clawson has seen a 10% increase in sales. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, we we have seen uh, good growth in, in the brand recently. And I think there's a couple things. First is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, consumers are looking for fresher products. They're looking for products that are, are minimally, minimally processed. They're increasingly shopping the perimeter of the stores. And Clawson uh-huh. uh, is a product that delivers on what consumers increasingly are looking for. I think the second reason is just sort of this um, strong commitment to quality. Uh, you know, throughout the generation, we are committed to the way that we make our pickles. Um, we're com- it's a painstaking process. Um, it's not the easiest way of making pickles, but um, we believe it delivers the best pickles, and that quality has been consistent, a consistent element of Clawson throughout the generations. Uh, uh, I, I read where you are, are set to process, they are, the factory is set to process over 500 tons of cucumbers into pickles this year. 500 tons, wow. So, because you mentioned you, uh, they source the cucumbers throughout the year. So the factory is in, in process and, and all year long making these cucumbers. It's not a seasonal thing, right? Absolutely. And yeah. we make uh, th- throughout the year to... Uh, the passion of all the pickle people that are out there. <laughs> and they are, yeah. Well, certainly these taste tests that, you know, these independent blind taste tests that go on and Clawson comes out top, I mean, that's that's certainly got to help. Um, you know, they're done by reputable, um, you know, food bloggers and, and um, magazines and, and places that people read about food and choices. I would imagine that has that has an impact for sure. Yeah, we're certainly very, very proud of how, how we stack up and um, certainly um, you know, are, are proud to be kind of the leading refrigerated pickle um, in, in America. Yeah. Uh, now, I mentioned that you are director of marketing at Kraft Heinz, and this is Clawson Pickles. 
go into that one a little bit. I mean, what about Heinz 57 varieties of pickled foods? What I mean, is there a little competition there within the company? How when did that all come about? <laughs> sure. Um, so I've been uh, you know with, with the company for for, for for over ten years for ten years, um, and you know, really Kraft Heinz. Uh, their our, our mission at Kraft Heinz is to be the best food company you know, growing a better world, and, and part of being the best food company is uh, about providing the highest quality of products. And so that's something that you know since uh, you know, since Kraft and Heinz uh, became one. Um, the commitment of quality to, to, to preserving the quality of Clausen is something that has absolutely been uh, maintained. And you know, we, our, our process and the, the, the steps that we take to provide the highest quality uh, cucumbers and, and highest quality pickles um, as we can has, has not changed at all um, in, in the past ownership, uh, it, it, under the current ownership. And that's been something that's really rewarding to see. And if anything, the uh, commitment to Clausen has um, only uh, – Enhanced sort of since uh, Kraft and Heinz became one, and um, we're happy to offer uh, two brands that uh, of pickles that um, we're really proud uh, to, to, to offer to consumers. Hmm. Well, they always say you know competition is a good thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you own a restaurant, it's good when another restaurant opens next door because you know that that makes people you know think twice and and make good choices. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, is there? Anything new that uh, in in the way of pickles? I mean, pickles oftentimes are regional specialties. I mean, people prefer heavy dilled pickles, or some people, um, you know, particular from the Eastern European influences of the um, all the uh, Jewish immigration, like the heavy garlic pickles. Uh, and there we have spicy pickles, bread and butter pickles. Do you find regional sales differ in the flavors? Um, you know, we see one thing that we see uh, that um, is a, certainly a regional difference and uh, a fun application of the Clawson product is the Kool-Aid pickle. I don't know if you talked about that Oh, no, but I did read something online about a Kool-Aid pickle. Yeah. I thought that was just a, you know, <laughs> one of those. I didn't believe it. Yeah, I didn't believe it at first either. I thought it was maybe an urban legend, but it's something we hear about from consumers and, so, and uh, have definitely seen and uh, gotten a lot of feedback that Clawson makes the best Kool-Aid pickle. So um, basically taking Kool-Aid and mixing it in with the brine and kind of storing overnight, I think. I've heard it's a great uh, way to kind of finish a barbecue meal. Um, and so it's definitely something that it's spread throughout the nation, but it's certainly popular in the South. And uh, there, there, are, there are some regional variations, uh, to, to be sure, uh, beyond the Kool-Aid pickle, I think. Um, in the Northeast, which um, is certainly has a strong heritage of, of, of pickles, um, we sell a half-sour uh, whole that is, is primarily sold in, in the Northeast. So mm-hmm. um, kind of with the deli culture, and, and we, we see a, a little bit of um, preference for that flavor there. But overall, I, I think just kind of overall, the, the, as pickles have um, increased in popularity and you're seeing more and more pickle flavored uh, across the grocery store. It's something that uh, we see you know, not nearly being as regional as it maybe once was and certainly is popular nationwide. Uh-huh. I get it. So aside from the Kool-Aid pickle, I'm not sure I'm going to try that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but there are a lot of, of what they call copycat Clausen uh, pickle recipes for home uh, home cooks, home picklers. Um, Pinterest, in particular, seems to be just flooded with with um, different they call copycat Clausen pickles. But then there's a Clausen refrigerator pickle recipe. Is that 
Clausen's own recipe, or is this just something that somebody came up with and called it a Clausen refrigerator pickle recipe because it tastes like that? I don't know. I don't. Do you know? Have you heard about that? Uh, we're, we're aware of that. I, yeah. I think uh, Im- imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Indeed, uh, so, yes. Um, I love that consumers, but I, I think we're proud to be kind of the gold standard that a lot of folks out there are trying to replicate. And I like to think that the, the, the process that we have is uh, often imitated, never duplicated. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, <laughs> please that there are uh, folks out there that are kind of seeking inspiration and uh, seeing Clausen as, as the gold standard. Yeah, uh, well, indeed, that's it is. Um it's uh, certainly a, a, I will say, a, I, I know and I, I have tasted them and love them. They're very crispy. I love crispy pickles. I think that was one, uh, some other uh, t- pickle expert was tasting pickles and said, and who doesn't love a crunchy pickle, right? You got to have the crunch. So and definitely have that in the Clausen pickles. Well, anything new coming up that, um, that consumers should be looking for in, in terms of, I don't know, in varieties or flavors of Clausen pickles? Yeah, I'd say uh, stay tuned. Uh, we're, we're always uh, keeping abreast of kind of what what trends are in the market, what consumers uh, are looking for, and we're always listening uh, to to our fans and, and our and our customers as well, and and, and listening to their feedback. So, um, you know, stay tuned, uh, and, uh, and and you'll see. Yeah, well, terrific. Well, Zach Meyer, thank you so much. It's it's been uh, it, it's been very interesting to learn about the pickle industry from you know from the source and uh and i'm so happy for you and for the company that clausen got the top testing i think maybe i'm going to do a blind test i don't know how i'm going to manage that but i'm going to do some pickle tasting and i'll let you know (laughs) i look forward to hearing the results of your test okay terrific all right well you have a good day and uh, and thanks for sharing your information with us and Uh And thank you to to my listeners for listening in, because, you know, we really do need listeners. We are a listener-supported station. If you have heard any of our uh, summer drive pleas during the break, you'll know that we are listener-supported. And I'm assuming that you listeners listen to my show because you're interested in learning something new about food and, and dining throughout history. And that's why I do the show. For the very same reasons, I love learning about about the history of food and dining and what was going on and how that has evolved and changed. Something else has evolved, and that's Heritage Radio Network. For 10 years, Heritage Radio Network has been educating and empowering listeners to better our food system. And this year, we're marking a decade of this revolutionary food radio, and I'm really proud to be a part of it. Join me in supporting HRN's Summer Fund Drive by making a donation before June, July 31st because it's our summer drive and we're going to try to wrap it up July 31st. As a member-supported nonprofit, my show and all of HRN's work is only possible thanks to listener support like you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate right now and make a gift of any amount and join the HRN community. By becoming a member. Thanks for listening. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. 
If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.